Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have good, good news to share with you because we have not one but two resources that were given away today. I love Good News Fridays with giveaways, and I love Good News Friday. Well, just Good News Fridays because they're good news, and we're talking about the good news. And, you know, people have noticed, and every now and again I get the odd email from a Bottom Line Show listener. It says, hey, Roger, really love the Good News Friday segments. Love the good news, good news, good news. But sometimes the stories don't always sound that good. Uh, could you please keep the stories more positive? Thank you, signed a listener. And the answer is to that question is, well, here's the deal. What exactly is good news? I know that we like to hear things that are positive. We like to hear things that are encouraging. You can't have a steady diet of just gloom and despair because if you did, then you'd be watching network television. But a bump. I mean, seriously, I mean, they know that the sadness really gets your attention if you get stuck on a TikTok loop or an Instagram reel or something like that. And, you know, one time you watch the car crash, next thing you know, here are the top 30 car crashes of last week. And you, you just can't not look at them. I mean, we're human beings, human nature. And the idea is, hey, you know what? We, we want to have good news. And good news is something that we in the body of Christ live for. But the best news, the good news that we are called to share with everyone is the good news of the gospel. I mean, that's what gospel means, good news. And so Good News Friday is designed to equip each of us. It's, it's to give you an encouragement. I literally started doing this segment how many years ago because I thought, wouldn't it be great if there were at least a couple of uplifting stories that people could hear on the bottom line show on a Friday and then when they go to church Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, they could say, hey, did you hear that on the bottom line? And they were talking about this story that made me feel good about the good news. As the world has gone more woke, as the world has gone more anti-biblical, as more and more people who profess faith in Christ are some of the dourest, sourest, angry, frustrated people I've ever met, and yet they're like, I'm a Christian. But, you know, I mean, let's face it, the joy of the Lord, real, genuine joy, joy that is contagious. Uh, years ago, I'd, I'd heard the word winsome before, but um, I... I I worked for a guy, John Campbell, Ambassador Advertising. He used to use Winsome all the time. And I finally had to hit my Google thesaurus and say, okay, what are we talking about? What does he mean when he says Winsome? And the definition of Winsome, short answer is it's attractive. It's something that people want to be around. You know, that young lady with that certain personality is just so winsome and charming and you, you, you can't not be with her. Or the, the guy who's just, you know, there's something about his character. It just, you want to be there. Well, as Christians... If the Holy Spirit is living in our heart, then there's a peace about us, there's a trust, there's a hope, there's a truth that people outside the world, or in the outside world, I should say, are drawn to. Yeah, that, that great line that James Earl Jones gets to deliver in Field of Dreams, talking about uh, people who come to the field and they'll pay $20, which back in 1989 was a lot of money to go to an old baseball field and that's built in a cornfield in Iowa. But... Uh, People will say, can we just have a look around here? And uh, uh, <laughs> I've, uh, Terrence Mann, the character played by James Earl Jones, looks at Ray Kinsella, played by Kevin Costner, and says, well, of course, it's only $20 per person. And I remember thinking, who's going to pay 20 bucks to walk around a cornfield? But then he offers that line 
that drives us and motivates a lot of our purchasing decisions in this culture. He said, sure, they'll hand over the 20. They won't even think about it because it's money that they have, but it's peace that they lack. So brothers and sisters, when you are sharing the good news, just by being you, just by interacting with people in the culture who, I'm talking about that crunchy guy who's at the drive up window at Starbucks or maybe even that person at church that just had a lousy day and came in and took your seat. Uh, It's amazing how being winsome makes uh, the gospel a lot easier to spread. As a matter of fact, I kind of coined a phrase 25 years ago that I used to use with regard to winsome. It said, if you want to to win some, you got to be winsome, basically. It's the winsome who will win some to Christ. So the Good News Friday stories are designed to be an encouragement. Now, they're not all happy, clappy, joy, joy, joy. But there is good news in the story with regard to what's happening. Case in point, um, if you've listened to the Bottom Line show at all over the past 10 years, and from what I'm hearing, a lot of people actually have. I mean, we, we have so many people who are calling and saying, hey, it's my first time to call. I've been listening to the show for 10 years, for 12 years, for nine years. Hey, I, I think it's great. First-time caller, but you've been with us all this time. That's fantastic. You know that Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services has a soft spot in his heart for Niger in Africa. As a matter of fact, he'll be going back there next week. Dennis goes a couple times a year, health-permitting, weather-permitting, COVID restrictions notwithstanding. Dennis and his wife, Kathy, have had COVID on several occasions during the pandemic and beyond. And, you know, when you get to be of a certain age, it gets tougher to recover from it. But his spirit, oh, my goodness. When you consider it was about 12, 15 years ago that a member of Dennis's Bible study challenged him to go to Niger or Niger. And he said, I'll just go once and get him off my case. And now Dennis brings community Bible study uh, materials to Niger a couple times a year. Uh, He's going to be going, uh, you've been listening to uh, his interviews here on the Bottom Line Show and even some of his advertising. Um, His granddaughter, Brooke, who is working as director of marketing for Wilson Financial, also making the trip with him this time. So please keep Dennis and Brooke in your prayers. But every time I see things that are happening in Burkina Faso or Ivory Coast or Niger, I think of Dennis and the ministry that he has. By the way, when you contact Wilson Financial at 800-696-9970, get a no-cost consultation for the new financial products that they have. There are two of them that are outstanding. One of them is a 7% real estate investment trust-like investment. It's an alternative to the REIT. Uh, It was paying 6%, now it's up to 7%. Basically, you invest an amount of money into with a group of other people. Um, They oftentimes will purchase these um, uh, apartment buildings in rural America, middle America, and they'll refurbish them and they've got a high rental uh, rate return. You can see them all on Dennis's website. I mean, there's there's no mystery here. This is no Ponzi scheme. Hey, if we get enough money, we're going to buy a building. No, they already have the buildings you can invest in them. And it pays a 7% return every month for three years. And then at the end of three years, after you've collected all that interest, you get your money back or you can reinvest in another three-year term. So, you know, Dennis has those right now. The 7% account is back. And then the 13% account. My goodness. Talk about good news. Yeah, there are some people who are doing, hey, invest in precious metals. Give us $5,000 and you might get 8%. How would you like to take that 13% to the bank each and every day for an entire year? 
you have to call Wilson Financial right now at 800-696-9970. And know that when Dennis is working with you to help you maximize, to help you be the best steward you can with the money to which God has entrusted you, of course, you know, he makes a living off of some of these accounts too. Um, that money gets put back into places like Niger where Dennis does ministry. He's built dozens of churches there and helped other of his clients and bottom line listeners have donated money. It's around 10 grand to build a really nice uh, church and either a Sunday school room, a Christian school, or a parsonage for the pastor in places like uh, Ivory Coast and Burkina Faso and, and where you know that there's a great hostility toward Christians. So when you invest with Dennis, uh, know that a portion of the proceeds, a good portion of the proceeds that he earns from your investments that you're partnering with, uh, goes into building churches in Africa. Toward that end, uh, we've got good news to report to kick off the program today. A group of student missionaries who are, were from Harmony Hill Baptist Church in Lufkin, Texas, are now safely back on their way to the U.S. after returning from a mission trip. They were in Niger, and it was delayed because... Something that doesn't happen in the U.S. I mean, there's indictments against a former sitting pres president, Donald Trump. He's got indictments coming out of his ears, it seems. But we, don't, we still have a peaceful transfer of power in this country. Not so in other places like Niger. As a matter of fact, uh, President Mohamed Bazoum had, in fact, been democratically elected. But a week ago Thursday, uh, our military showed up and escorted him out of the building. And so as a result... Uh, the students who were part of Harmony students at Harmony Hill Baptist Church, uh, they traveled to Niamey, which is the capital of Niger. And they'd been stuck in the, the nation since uh, July 26th because of the military coup that was there. So uh, there's a great picture of the Christian Post of all these kids uh, who finally were able to make it back. And um, they had to go to Rome first and uh, then they were always able to get out. But you know, it, it's good. There was actually a 12-member missionary team that uh, was held back. And when it got to a level four travel advisory, they were pretty much stuck there until the government said it was okay to leave. So we're grateful that the government gave them the A-OK -okay to, uh, to make the move. But man, what an exciting time for a group of kids doing a summer mission trip in Niger. And uh, while well, you know, they, they were able to uh, witness their faith wherever they went, it just, they went, you know, in places that they weren't planning on going. Um, we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I encourage you to check it out. Hey, on the other side of this break, speaking of more good news, the good news is marriages in the church are lasting longer. Shanti Feldhahn has done an extensive amount of work on this, uh, studying what's really happening. We've been told for years the divorce rate in America is 50%, and the church is 50%. It's actually a lot lower. One place, though, the divorce rate is a bit higher, though, for both inside and outside the church, is for second and third marriages. And you may be wondering, as someone who is in a second marriage and loving it, and my wife would say the same thing, um, what happens to the Christian couple that finds that their first marriage has ended for one reason or another, and now they're considering marrying again? Ron and Nancy Keller are therapists. They are married, and this is their second marriage for each. They have a lot of years experience in a second marriage, counseling other couples who are thinking about, you know, uh, wanting to get married again after the first marriage ended, but maybe their expectations aren't too realistic. Or, or maybe uh, they think there's unity and healthy communication because what they really have in common is just bad-mouthing their former spouses. I mean, trust me, 
sitting on the counseling end of that pastoral conversation isn't fun, but it does happen. Ron and Nancy have put together a devotional book called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book to give away. If you or someone you know is about to enter into a second or third marriage and would like a resource to help them really be prepared for it, this is the book. And we're giving it away. We'll give you the phone number right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Ron and Nancy Keller. Join me for a look at what kind of devotions a couple should be praying when they're getting ready to marry again. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Statistically, we know that a good number of people, not the majority, but a good number of people who get married are going to wind up going through a divorce and then potentially remarrying and uh, trying it all over again. In the church, that could be a real challenge, and yet we realize that there are some people who will get married again because they find that quote-unquote right person, they're determined to make it right, but they bring in some of the baggage of the previous relationship, and all of a sudden, they're having a tough time getting it going. Uh, Ron and Nancy Keller are counselors, are Christians, are a wonderful married couple who have put together a devotional book that is designed for those who have said I do and then I didn't, and now they're back to I do once again. The book is called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ron and Nancy Keller, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Thank you very much for having us. We're glad to be here with you. And we should we should start by saying everyone who listens to the bottom line knows what a big baseball fan I am. Um, we, uh, the three of us, root for rather losing miserable teams right now. So uh, we, we <laughs> miss misery loves company. We're all going to get along very very well with the Kellers, the tw- longtime Twins fans, and me, of course, a long suffering Angels fan. Ron Keller holds an undergraduate degree in business and advertising, has a master's in theology from Fuller right here in town, and earned his doctorate in counseling psychology. Nancy has undergraduate graduate degrees from St. Catherine University and the University of St. Thomas and has counseled couples preparing for marriage for more than 30 years. Why was, what, or I should say, what was the, uh, the basis for saying there, there needs to be a book like this? Were you coming up short in terms of resourcing for couples who had gotten married, gotten divorced, and were thinking about getting married again? Well, that, that's part of the deal, Roger. But, yeah. but mostly, uh, Nancy and I ourselves have gone through a divorce and then remarriage, and we're married for 37 years now. Oh, that's so, great. Um, so we were part of a group when we when we first decided to get married. Um, we were part of a group that talked about what it's like to be in step families, and that group um, gave us uh, some basic training and what we were going to go through. But through the years, we've done a whole lot of stuff. Wrote a book in 2002 with the same title, and uh, and then just updated that in, here in the past three years to this book. Nancy, what's the big, what's the big, the biggest change that you've seen, having gone down this road before in terms of the print form twenty years ago? Nancy, what 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 are some of the what is one of the biggest or some of the biggest changes that couples who go through a divorce and are getting remarried again are facing today that they didn't face back then? Oh, I don't know about that so much as I do know our experience is most couples who make a decision to be remarried. 
don't know nearly as much as they need to know about what they're getting into. I think that's the same now as it was then. And it was the same for us as well. I mean, Ron is right. We did um, do everything we could to educate ourselves and thought we were pretty well, you know, uh, ready for the commitment. But when we got into this group that Ron talked about, we we got our eyes open and our ears open. Mm. And um, that's kind of been our experience all these years is that people get so excited about a new relationship, they mostly have no idea what they're getting into. And uh, that's a big reason, the main reason, I, one of the main reasons why we, we wanted to stay on this project um, and uh, in hopes of giving people more realistic expectations about what they were getting into. Ron and Nancy Keller, my guests today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ron, how big is the, well, I want to say the, the dating pool. I mean, how common is it for people in the church? I, I know there are a lot of folks in my years of pastoral ministry, uh, I've come across several families who, if a divorce happens, they just kind of wander away because they're thinking, oh man, no one would want divorced people going to their church. But the reality is divorce is as common, it seems, in the church as outside the church. Give us an idea of the gravity. What, what kind of numbers are we talking about here? Well, I think you're, you're right in stating that it's the same as it is in the church uh, as it is outside. And, uh, and so there's a, there are a lot of people who are quite judgmental in the church system that um, want to be, don't understand what's happened. Um, and so it's critical for all of us to think more clearly and have more experience and more understanding. So, um, I think that when we wrote our first book, um, which was just a self, self-published book, basically a workbook of sort of exercises that we had put together to use with groups of couples that were thinking or in a remarriage situation. At that time, the statistics were telling us that almost 50% of marriages ended in divorce, which was shocking. Now, when we put this current book together, our editor did some research. She came up with about a third of marriages, and this is inside and outside the church, uh, tend to end in, in divorce it seems like a a big difference in statistics, but we also have to realize there are fewer couples getting married in general yes. now mm-hmm. than there mm-hmm. were years ago, and that might be a part of it too. Yeah, I know. In talking with researchers like Shanti Feldhahn, who's done some uh, some studies on the, the marriage issue and you know why marriage inside the church is actually stronger, according to her research, she said a lot of times the numbers are skewed in terms of taking into consideration a marriage that ends because maybe a second marriage ended because one of the partners passed away. And they're saying, well, that marriage mm-hmm. ended. So, well, what do I wait? There's a big difference between becoming a widow and becoming a divorcee. And I think that in the church, sometimes we got that stigma that just says, well, we've got the numbers all wrong. So I was grateful to see in your book that you use the, the one third statistic as opposed to half or even 60 or 70%, because you certainly don't want to be misleading. Uh, Ron and Nancy Keller, my guests today here on the bottom line, 
The book is called Marrying Again, and we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. One of the things that you stress in this book, and I'll put this up for both of you, is you're going to have to have some realistic expectations about what's going to happen. And I know anecdotally from my own experience, uh, my wife and I are both kind of type A, planning, organizer types. And in our first marriages, we got stuck kind of doing a lot of the work <laughs> in terms of, you know, whether or not the family was going to survive. So when we got together, it's like, hallelujah, this is wonderful. We, but we still had to find our own rhythms as who did what well, best, better, not so good, that type of thing. Talk about some of the, the expectations that remarrying couples have that in your counseling experience have been pretty unrealistic, but they're kind of common to couples like that. Well, I think people get infatuated really quickly if they haven't done the, the hard work of closure about the first relationship. Mm-hmm. There's so, there's, it's, it's like a hangover that you bring into the relationship, and then, then uh, a lot of things surface that didn't get resolved. So in the book, we talk about some of the things that need to happen. So there's a plan about how to do stuff, a strategy for how to do things, and it's essential that people go through those various stages to get the right kind of healing they need and preparedness for another relationship. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, remarriage is a very difficult thing. Marriages are difficult. And, <laughs> right. And then remarriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, remarriages have complexities that aren't there in that first relationship. Everything from children to finances to where to live to uh, how to spend time with uh, good time with kids, but most importantly, how to spend time and invest good time in the new relationship. That's one of the critical things that doesn't get taken care of if people aren't attentive. Mm. We have often said we think that uh, people... Uh, get very excited when they meet someone new after divorce. And I think there's a lot of assumptions that take place, um, two of them being that if they've been married before, they know all about marriage, what works and what doesn't work. And they're determined not to bring those things that didn't work the first time into the second marriage. Um, you know, a, a side comment, though, is that most of them do bring the same mm-hmm. things into the second mm-hmm. marriage, or oftentimes. Um, and secondly, that if they've been parents, then step-parenting can't be all that much different, can it? Well, it's entirely different. And I think that one of those, to go back to your original question, one of those things that takes some um, some jockeying and getting used to uh, that might be an assumption from the get-go, is that I'm a parent and my new stepchildren are going to respect me and allow me to parent them just right. because I'm an adult and they're kids. And that that's not true at all. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the big ones right there. Yeah, that's great counsel from uh, Nancy and Ron uh, Keller talking about this brand new book called Marrying Again. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. This book features 52 different devotions that are designed to help prepare your heart and mind for marriage after divorce. There's a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process, it's a spiritual battle. 
She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, married therapists Ron and Nancy Keller are my guests today here on the program. And what Ron and Nancy bring to the table not only are years of experience as a married couple, but years of experience as a remarried couple uh, since they've been married over 30 years it's a second marriage for both of them and they've written a great devotional book called marrying again 52 devotions to prepare your heart and mind for marriage after divorce this is a great resource to have pastors this is a good one to have if you are someone you know statistically you do know someone who is considering remarriage or maybe you're that person 800-227-5278 is the number to call we do have one copy of this book to give away but we have two different resources to give away here on this Good News Friday, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Ron and Nancy Keller have written the book called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. Giving away a copy today here on this Good News Friday at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, the conclusion of this powerful conversation about how people who are, have been through a divorce and are thinking about remarrying, uh, they want to make sure that the remarriage is biblical, want to make sure the divorce had been b- biblical, but sometimes they rush into it a little too quickly. Ron and Nancy Keller will give you more good advice on how not to do that. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Ron and Nancy Keller are my guests today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, married, uh, remarried, I should say, for uh, for more than 30 years. And you know, you, you've got a way of describing your new book. The book is called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I love the way you describe this book saying, you know, a lot of people will go into marriage and say, okay, I've been married before, so I think I can figure this out. I'm going to learn from my past mistakes. But nobody who's ever been married once before and then divorced can say, I know what it's like to be remarried. And <laughs> I think right. that it's, it's such a basic you know, observation. But there, how many people get tripped up? They get you know six months, a year into that second marriage. And all of a sudden, like you mentioned, Nancy, before the break, you've got kids here and it's like, well, how come your son isn't respecting me, but he, you know, he, he's respecting you or maybe he's disrespecting both of us. Um, kids, I'm sure a big issue. Talk about the financial aspect too. I mean, that's, that's gotta be one that trips a lot of remarried couples up where they're thinking, okay, everything's going to be fine, but I was the one who handled the money in my first marriage and I'm going to handle it in the second one too. How do you reestablish new ground rules, Ron and Nancy, in terms of those types of things? So, Nancy, you just told a story the other day about this couple who um, got remarried, 
and there was uh, a financial problem oh, from yeah. the beginning. They were. We worked with a couple, and they were talking about how they would handle their finances after they got married. And um, he started, and he was very clear that everything that was his was just going to be equally distributed now between his four sons and her two daughters. And mm. it, what's mine is yours. And he, I think he just assumed that's exactly how she was going to feel and all was going to be fine. Well, it wasn't how she felt. <laughs> you know, she, <laughs> she described that she had a husband. Her husband had passed away which is a little different than divorce, yes, but her husband had passed away. She loved him very much. He had worked very hard to put together a trust fund for their two daughters. And she Mm. had to be honest and say, I don't feel right, and it doesn't feel like I'd be respecting my first husband if I took the money he worked so hard for for our daughters and distributed it now between all of these six kids four sons that were not even his. So the man was shocked. And, you know, it just pointed out there's, there's never too much that you can talk about beforehand to be sure that you're on the same page about all those things. Who will pay the bills? How will we divide the bills? What's going to happen to money to our, our, our state when something happens to us? Who does it go to? You know, all of those. How do we... How are we going to figure out how to pay for these kids' college tuition? Is it going to be your money, my money, our money? It's, right. it's complicated. And so most yeah, most so people don't talk enough about it ahead, I think. Sorry. Go ahead, So, so that's why uh, in this book, Roger, we, we made it a point to describe the predictable issues that are going to happen in any remarriage. Mm-hmm and the predictable feelings that are going to be in any remarriage. And helping us knowing those things and helping other people see that has made a great difference in their attitudes. Ron and Nancy Keller, my guests, and the book is called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I think of the people who listen and call into The Bottom Line Show on a regular basis, a lot of folks in their 50s and 60s and 70s, and more and more people being impacted by, I think they call it the gray divorce, you know, where someone was married for 30 years and the kids grow, and next thing you know, you're you're trying to piece it together. Um, what advice do you have to somebody who's in a situation like that? I mean, in your case, it sounds like with the length of the second marriage that you have, the first marriages weren't too you know, long and arduous compared to the number of years you've invested here. But someone who is kind of on the receiving end of that, oh, by the way, you know, after 25, 30 years of marriage, uh, has got to be looking at this a little differently. What advice do you have to someone who says, I'm not even sure if I want to get married again, let alone, you know, be prepared for that? Mm-hmm. We we we've worked with many people who have said that kind of thing, and in, incidentally, I said that I said I did never want to get married again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very coincidental, totally planned by God, that I met this wonderful woman through a consulting pro- project I was working for for a church. Oh, nice! And uh, and it, it was amazing. We had many conversations. A lot of pain that we had, and because of our divorces, uh, we shared a lot of that, and it became obvious that God had put us together. 
And so we're thankful for that. But I was convinced, and I think Nancy was too, that, you know, we've had it. We're, it was very difficult to uh, to go through a divorce, and we never wanted to happen that to happen again. So mm-hmm. I do think um, our situation, you're right, Roger, it was a little different in the sense that our children, um, we had five children together. Ron had three, I had two, and we did have to kind of blend them all through their growing up years, older couples that meet and debate whether they should be married do need to be aware that though their children may be adults, it does not mean they will not have any issues with them. Sometimes adult children have way more trouble with older parents marrying again than young kids do. And there are all kinds of issues about inheritance and uh, you know, even even uh, older people's children who used to count on their parents for babysitting their children, for instance, mm. and now yeah. all of a sudden this parent is all busy with this new relationship, and they're not real happy about the, about this new person coming into their life. In addition, I think they have to be aware that there may be issues about getting married that might affect um, you know, uh, uh, pensions and all of those kinds of things that might end, even some social security that might end if they do get married versus if they don't. So there's a lot of issues that I think older people need to be aware of, and many are probably not aware of those. So It's interesting how many of us want to follow our hearts. You know, you get into a situation Mm -hmm. where the first marriage fell apart, you meet that special someone and then think, oh, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. And then you kind of let your guard down a little bit and don't think about all the things that you just mentioned. I mean, life's a lot more when you're young and crazy and impressionable. uh, What was it? Stephen Curtis Chapman, I think, was talking about his wife, Mary Beth, when they first got married. And he said, I'm glad she accepted a job which if she had read the full job description before we got married, she never would have taken it. And I, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the beautiful thing about when we're young and idealistic, what are you seeing? I'm going to marry him. I'm going to marry her. We're going to have four kids. We're going to have a great house. We're going to have a great life. Not we're going to fight the first time the electricity gets turned off because someone didn't pay the bill, you know, and, and when you're older, when you're older, now you can't unthink those things. And I, I wonder what, how do you handle, we got just a few moments left in our time together. Lisa and I have been together for five and a half years. We've been married for three and a half. And we have Great. both have we both have moments where we will look at each other and sometimes she'll be barking at me about something or I'm fussing at her about something. And each of us kind of has to throw a flag and say, time out. That that that's a PTSD moment. That wasn't me. You know, that that was mm-hmm. and and we both had to take a step back and say, you know, you're right. That's that's me kind of, you know, God ripped the scab off here. Talk about how couples can find a healthy, I mean, we found a rhythm that works for us, but what are some of the other ways that you recommend couples who, like you said, if they haven't really dealt with some of these issues in the past and then they get married and now they really have to deal with them in a whole different way. Talk about some of the ways you suggest they do that. Well, we we talk about the predictability of those kinds of things happening, Roger. And for people to be realistic with themselves and each other about what they can uh, what they can do to make the marriage better. Obviously, this is a Christian radio station, and obviously, prayer together is essential. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, yes. praying about and for and with the kids to form a new lifestyle around Jesus 
absolutely critical. Um, and so we've worked with many people, both uh, both Christians, non-Christians, um, and we find that the ones who are going to make it are the ones that concentrate on the scriptures and loving each other. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be arguments and frustrations. And the uh, remarriage has a lot of landmines that people need to be aware of. And uh, one of the most important ones is that the marriage, the remarriage has to be the priority of the family. Hmm. And it can't be the kids. Kids cannot be the ones that we focus on only. Uh, the new relationship needs nurture, needs uh, tenderness, affection, time. And if people don't devote themselves to the new spouse, it's not going to be able to work. There's going to be a lot of feelings of, uh, of disloyalty to them. And there's a whole bunch of stuff like that. And, and most of this is definitely pre predictable. One of the things that Nancy and I do, we've worked with engaged couples for uh, Nancy for 40 years in full-time work um, wow. to, try to, to try to prepare them for being ready for a good marriage. And we, we, we said repeatedly, before you say yes, you better know what you're saying yes to. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. do the research. The research means who is this person really and how are they really going to function and how is this relationship going to work when we have these differences. Differences in temperament primarily is one of the big things that we talk about. I think that, too, um, our book contains a lot of information about uh, the hard work that people who come out of divorce uh, need to do before they're really going to be ready for for a new relationship if God brings one one along to them, and um, you know most people don't know what that hard work is, and um, I think if they don't do it, then as you mentioned or alluded anyway, Roger, some of those past issues are going to resurface again in the new relationship. And right. if we can identify them as issues that are still hangovers from the first marriage, uh, then maybe some <laughs> remedial work has to be done yeah. on yeah. some of those issues that should have been done uh, prior because they will affect the new marriage for sure. So if that means counseling or it needs journaling or what it means or getting a book like this and going back and reading, oh, these these are the steps. Hmm, I guess I missed some of these along the way. Um, and maybe doing just some of that hard work yourself with God's help uh, is also valuable. Well, that's great counsel from Ron and Nancy Keller, partners at Marriage and Ministry and the authors of a brand new book called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ron, Nancy, thank you for the work that you've put in, not only to this book, but also for your years of marriage and ministry. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Very glad to be Very with you, welcome. Roger. Thank you thanks. for having us and good luck in your own remarriage. <laughs> Well, what a great discussion and I really enjoyed have just scratching the surface with Ron and Nancy Keller today here on The Bottom Line. Their book is called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you or someone you know is thinking about doing this again, I mean, the, the gray divorce phenomenon is real. More and more people divorcing after the age of 50, more and more people divorcing after being married for 25 years or more. When my marriage ended, uh, my first marriage anyway, I wasn't quite 50 yet, but we just, we were about a month away from 25 years together. And it was, it was tough. I don't mind uh, sharing that with you. I was going through it when we started this show. And it's amazing how when you get to the point where you just say, I'm done, it's over, I don't want any more part of it. And about uh well, let's see how many years, uh, six years after that divorce was final. That's when I met Lisa, and that's with good counsel and a lot of prayer uh, when we realized, hey, this is more than just a misery loves company. This is more than just a we want to get together and bash on our ex-spouses. really didn't do a lot of that. We found the commonalities that we had. We learned how to resolve differences, and we'll be celebrating our fourth wedding anniversary on New Year's Eve. So uh, I recommend this book wholeheartedly. Again, it's called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Your Divorce by Ron and Nancy Keller. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, good news for women. As a matter of fact, for anybody who's been saying the Equal Rights Amendment should be alive and enacted, uh, it is, sort of. Well, in one state, okay, it's not the Equal Rights Amendment, but it's a so-called Women's Bill of Rights. It's been signed into law by executive order in the state of Oklahoma. So what is Governor Kevin Stitt up to now? We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 8 833-850-BABY right now. You give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Ron and Nancy Keller for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Over the past half hour, we've been discussing their outstanding devotional book called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce, 800-227-5278. We got one copy of this book to give away, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Oklahoma Republican Governor Kevin Stitt is passionately pro-life. And he wanted to be establishing himself, he said, uh, early on in his uh, campaign and his ministry as governor uh, by establishing everything he could possibly do to pass as much pro-life legislation as he can. Now, last year, he signed Senate Bill 612, 
which is a pro-life bill that would ban basically every abortion in the state except those performed to, quote, save the life of a pregnant woman in a medical emergency, unquote. Now he's taken it a step further. The uh, Save Women Sports Act that has been enacted, it requires athletes to compete on sports teams that align with their biological sex as opposed to the ones that is their stated gender identity. But then after he signed that, he said more remains to be done to counter the regression of women's rights in this country. And so he's now signed an executive order that establishes what he calls a women's bill of rights. He began the executive order by noting the significance of Title IX, legislation to ensure equal opportunities for women and girls in education, including sports. And then he said, today, radical gender ideologies threaten the hard-fought progress won by women and girls in our society. Basically, his executive order, he says, is necessary, quote, to provide clarity, certainty, and uniformity to administrative actions and rules. So basically, here's what Kevin Stitt did in his executive order. I'm sure the left is going nuts over this, but here's what he had the audacity to do. First, the executive order, I'm only laughing because this really shouldn't be an issue, but unfortunately, this is 2023. The Oklahoma executive order, the Women's Bill of Rights, first and foremost, implements a uniform definition of the word female. I kid you not. Um, The definition of female, at least according to Oklahoma law, is, quote, a person whose biological reproductive system is designed to produce ova. Then they also have a definition, a universal definition for a male. Male is a person whose biological reproductive system is designed to fertilize the ova of a female. Now, this is what messes with the trans argument because there are these women who shoot testosterone in their bodies and have their breasts removed and say, I'm a pregnant man. A pregnant man with a uterus is a woman. There's no such thing as a pregnant man. Men can't get pregnant. It's really very simple. Oklahoma's executive order not only defines male and female, but clarifies the terms woman and girl shall only apply to biological females, while man or boy shall only apply to biological males. In addition, again, you're shaking your head, maybe you're clapping and cheering and saying, good for you, Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma. In addition, mother and father are defined as a mother is a female parent of a child, and the father is a male parent of a child. And then sex is is designed or defined rather, as based on a person's reproductive characteristics as determined at birth. The document then goes on, any public school, public school district, or any other agency, department, or subdivision of the state that collects vital statistics for the purpose of complying with anti-discrimination laws or for the purpose of gathering accurate public health, crime, economic, or other data to the fu- shall to the fullest extent of the allowed by law identify each natural person who is part of the collected data set as either male or female as defined in this order. Wow. Go do that, Kevin Stitt. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. I think this is fantastic. I mean, it's, it's a shame. And again, I don't say this with any malice toward anyone who's experiencing gender dysphoria, anyone who is a relative who has felt, uh, you know, come out and said, I'm trans and call me, you know, Jeff instead of Joan. And, you know, that I, I get that. But what I'm appreciating and what I'm enjoying here is Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma saying we are going to define male and female. And I'm signing an executive order that basically says 
Here it is. Now, who exactly wrote this Women's Bill of Rights? Uh, You're going to be surprised when you find out because the name of this organization gives you the impression that this is kind of a left-leaning group. It's actually not. We've actually used some of their material here and talked with some of the reporters here on the Bottom Line show over the years. But there's one other key component in the Women's Bill of Rights in Oklahoma that uh, I want to share with you, and that's coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and you're right, it is a little bittersweet that we have to include Oklahoma's Women's Bill of Rights Executive Order signed by Governor Kevin Stitt last week as a good news story because all it does is basically define what God has already known and we've known for millennia, and that is men are created one way and women are created another, and if we get those two definitions mixed up, we're in big trouble. Next thing you know, we have the smarter members of academia and intelligentsia here in intelligentsia in this culture. It's coming up with 73 different genders. Oklahoma only has two. And they are based by a person's reproductive characteristics at birth. And then the executive order says any public school, public school district, or any other agency, department, or subdivision of the state that collects vital statistics for the purpose of complying with anti-discrimination laws or for the purpose of gathering accurate public health, crime, economic, or other data shall, to the fullest extent of the law, identify each natural person who is a part of the collected data set, either as male or female, as defined in this order. Then it continues, the order specifies that agencies, quote, must provide governmental services in single-sex environments where biology, privacy, and personal dignity are implicated. They directed prisons to provide dedicated facilities for men and women, schools to provide dedicated restrooms and locker room facilities for boys or girls. In a statement following the implementation of the order, Governor Stitt vowed that, quote, as long as I'm governor, we will continue to protect women and ensure women-only spaces are reserved solely for biological women. Now, the group that kind of crafted this for him is called the Independent Women's Forum. They actually wrote a woman's bill of rights that actually served as the model for the executive order. It's also been implemented in two other states, Kansas and Tennessee. And according to... uh, um, the director of the Independent Women's Forum, uh, well, she basically echoed uh, Summerlin Cothran, senior vice president, uh, said, it's sad that such basic truths must be spelled out to ensure equal protection, but I applaud Governor Stitt for taking decisive action today. 
establishing common language by the way the women's bill of rights is a way of saying enough is enough oklahoman women deserve equal opportunity privacy and fairness and safety um, that is good news and that's definitely the bottom line on that um we'll post it up at the bottomlineshow.com you could have a look at it also you got a few moments left to get in on the drawing for ron and nancy keller's book uh marrying again 52 devotions to prepare your heart and mind for marriage or remarriage i should say 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line for our kcbc listeners enjoy the rest of your day rabbi schneider and discovering the jewish jesus coming up next if you want a preview of what you're going to hear tonight on the bottom line show extra on kcbc well, you can stay with us and listen in queue on your internet. Uh, Gary Thomas is going to join us. And if you've ever found yourself involved in what seems like a toxic relationship with somebody who's just, well, just not really easy to be around, sometimes you sit there and say, well, God, uh, how much longer do I stay in this relationship? How long do I endure? Is there ever a time to say, I'm going to literally shake the dirt and dust off my sandals from this person's home and ask the question, am I not living my true God-given purpose by engaging with so many toxic people? Uh, Pastor and author Gary Thomas has written a book about this subject. It's called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving a copy away. 800-227-5278. See, I told you, lots of giveaways today here on this Good News Friday. 800-227-5278. On the other side of this break, we're going to revisit my conversation with Gary Thomas and talk about when to walk away and how you can find freedom from the toxic people in your life. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. What happens when you have a toxic relationship and it drains you? It just kind of sucks the life out of you. And you begin to realize, gosh, what am I supposed to do? And you pray and you look for forgiveness or healing or whatever, and it just doesn't happen. Is there a point where you get to say, hold it, I got to stop? Uh, Gary Thomas is writer in residence at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, adjunct faculty member teaching on spiritual formation for both Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas, the author of 19 books, including Sacred Marriage, Sacred Pathways, uh, Sacred Parenting. The new book, though, is a bit of a departure for Gary Thomas. It's called When to Walk Away. Finding Freedom from Toxic People. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary Thomas, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger, for having me back. This is You, you sound chipper for somebody who had to walk away from a toxic relationship or two. Is that because <laughs> you're finding that freedom now and saying, hey, this is great, no more toxic relationships for me? You know, it is, and it's um, when people have gotten early copies of the book, Roger, it's just that same thing, that freedom is, is, is what I keep hearing mm-hmm. from people. And it, it does feel liberating. I think there's been so much misplaced Christian guilt that has put us in situations that drain us, that demean us, that sap our joy out of life, that distract us from healthy relationships and productive encounters. And and my prayer is this book will just set us free to have more effective, more impactful lives where we can serve more effectively. You have been studying relationships and relational ministry for many, many years and helping so many people, as I mentioned, with parenting, marriage, things of that nature. You had a personal experience, though, when it comes to a toxic relationship that kind of made you rethink not what you'd talked about and preached about before, but the way you approach this whole issue of toxic relationships. Can you give us kind of a 60-second overview of what kind of lit a fire under your foot for this book? 
it, it was just a relationship that was so draining, and I was trying to figure out, and what's the proper way to respond, and how do I engage this person? And then I was shocked when a very experienced friend of mine, he's been a marriage family counselor for over 30 years, he just said, yeah, I don't think you should engage. I think you just need to walk away, which for me always seemed like a failure as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And if this person calls himself a Christian, how come we, we can't reconcile? And then he said, I want you to go to the book of Luke. Count how many times Jesus walked away from people or let people walk away from him. Well, I, I was intrigued when I went through Luke. I went through all four Gospels and counted 41 citations where Jesus had an interaction with someone where they didn't accept what he had to say. Jesus either let them walk away or he chose to walk away. And, uh, Roger, it might seem elementary to you. It might seem elementary to a lot of the re- to the listeners, but it was mind-blowing to me. I-, I always thought that if I was just surrendered to the Lord and walking in obedience and understanding Scripture and always operating with love and in a good attitude that, that people would respond, well, if they didn't respond to Jesus that way, I couldn't expect they'd respond to me that way. And it, and it was so freeing, but also so strategic just to help me put my efforts where it would be more profitable. Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People is the brand new book. We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. This this concept of, of toxicity, how do we separate the difference between, you know, someone who is toxic and you do need to walk away or somebody who's just kind of a pain to work with, maybe a yeah, co-worker well, or something like that? Talk about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you answered that question. There's a difference between difficult and toxic, and it takes me three chapters to really fully answer that. And I know we, we don't have as much time here to go through it, but there were some markers. Um, toxic people really tend to be controlling, which is the opposite of who God is. God is a God of choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And mm-hmm. the New Testament mentions demonic possession. It never lists, lists God possession. God's Spirit fills us. But Paul even says the spirit of the prophets are subject to control of prophets. So when somebody's trying to control you, that's not a godly attitude. That's not a strategy of God. It really comes from a different place. They might have a murderous attitude, and by that I don't mean they just want to kill us, although they kind of do as far as reputations and, and whatnot. But if you see somebody, that they're, they're killing the office atmosphere, they're destroying churches, they're destroying families, they're destroying your personal peace, your joy, your sense of sanity. They're often masters at gaslighting, where they make you think you're crazy for believing what's true. Just as God is a God of life, the Bible begins with God creating. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. He describes Satan as one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. So if you look at a person's life and there's nothing but social and psychological death behind him, mm-hmm. you're dealing with a toxic individual. And then I use a list from Colossians 3, uh, which lists the virtues that Christians should be known for. Things like compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and love and thanksgiving. And then Paul lists what marks toxic people, and then it's marked by this, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Mm. Look, we see that a lot on the social end. We see that a lot in the political spectrum. You see it in churches. You yep. see it 
in families. And when those things are there, you really have to have your guard up that you may be dealing with someone who's just a toxic person through and through. Boy, that's hard to hear, but it's really important to hear, I think, when you talk about the the, the difference between the two of them, because my, my suspicion is I'm 58 years old. This is the first time I've ever really taken a look at that in, in, in terms of, you know, how do you how do you stand up to it? How do you, you know, sometimes standing up to it means walking away? Because there's a part of me that says, on the one hand, I want to try to reach the unlovely or the unloving person, you know, with the gospel. There's another part of me, too, that says, if I walk away, they're going to hate me, Gary Thomas. I don't want that to happen. Talk about what how, learning how to, to kind of be hated, if you will. What does that mean? Well, that, it was fascinating for me, because I think the level of hatred leveled against People who just speak historic Christian truth is is something new for us. I pointed out to people this whole thing like we had with Billy Graham, who we recently said goodbye to mm-hmm. uh, when, when he was told to, by ed, newspaper editors, Puff Billy Graham, uh, that's gone. I mean, we're, we're not likely to see that anytime in the near future. And so I interview a number of Christians who have just learned, how do you speak the truth, even though you speak it with love? and gentleness, and with great intentions, not to hurt, not to hate, not to divide, but just to speak God's truth. Um, We're going to be hated because of it. Jesus said, the world hates me, not because he was unloving. He says, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Hmm. And today, it's considered hateful to call evil evil. It's not hateful to it's not evil to do evil. It's evil to call evil evil. Boy, there's a head and scratch so, right there, man. That's crazy. <laughs> well, and, and I think some Christians pile on other Christians with the assumption that, you know, if we would just be loving and if we would only focus on doing good deeds and whatnot, then they wouldn't hate us and everybody would embrace the gospel. Well, Jesus proves that's not true. The Apostle John, the Apostle of love, proves that not, isn't true. Paul talks and warns Timothy, or I should say he warns Timothy about several toxic individuals. So unless we somehow think we figured out a way to love more than Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John, and that the problem with our ability, that our being hated is that we're lacking love, then, you know, somehow we're just not reading the Bible correctly. Now, I'm sure many of us we, we we can't act self-righteously. Sometimes some Christians may elicit that kind of response. We've all heard them. We all know that happens. My point is we can't always assume that somebody didn't speak the truth gently and appropriately and relevantly. They may hate that person just because they hate the truth, and they don't want to admit what they're doing is evil. Mm. Boy, that that is so that is so key for us to remember. And you're right. In, in the social media world that we have, it's kind of changed the way we get our information, we process our information, even the way we relate to people in in real life. I'm grateful that you and I are having an actual conversation, Gary Thomas, about this because if if we were trying to do this on social media, other people might jump in and say, "Well, what about this?" And you had that un, un, interaction yourself with someone where you realized the level of toxicity was so tough. But how do you deal with it when? We have different ways of communicating that. Uh, Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I have a whole slew of questions to ask Gary, so I'm going to give him a chance to get a drink of water and catch his breath because we're going to talk about toxic parents, toxic marriages, toxic kids, and what does it mean to be toxic to yourself That's one of the issues that Gary Thomas addresses in his brand new book, When to Walk Away. We'll have more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. 
you can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Gary's a writer in residence at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, adjunct faculty member teaching on spiritual formation at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, also in Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas, author of 19 best-selling books, and his latest one is really going to raise some eyebrows. It might ruffle some feathers, but hopefully it's going to calm some hearts. The book is called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and and Gary, it it mentioned earlier on you've written books like Sacred Marriage, Sacred Parenting, um, Authentic Faith. Uh, One of the things you do talk about in this book is the fact that toxicity is not limited to just, say, that guy on the job who drives you nuts or that person at church who also drives you nuts, or maybe you're that person too. Uh, talk about the, the the parenting side of this, or the marriage side. What's a good place for us to start in terms of, say, toxic marriages? Where do we start there? Uh, yeah. Well, if, if we want to go with parents first, I think we have to recognize, I, I, here's a question that comes up often. Somebody will have a toxic in-law. In this case, it was the the husband's mom was just really aggressive. We could say passive-aggressive toward his wife. Sometimes it wasn't so passive. Mm-hmm. She didn't raise the kids right. She didn't love her husband right. She didn't cook right. She didn't clean right. She wasn't educated. It was just all of that. They'd had a really, really tough year. And the wife finally said to him in the start of December, look, I just can't even bear the thought of being at your parents over Christmas. She goes, I, it's been a tough year. It takes me months to recover mm. with our kids young and all that we face. I just don't know that I have it in me. And he came to me and said, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to honor my mom, but mm-hmm. I know I'm supposed to love my wife. And I said, you know, you honor your mom by treating her as if she's healthy. I, I said, if my son said to me, Dad, we just can't make it for Christmas, our family needs to be here, it would break my heart, but I would say, I would hope, if I was healthy, I'm proud of you. You're doing what I want you to do. You're being a husband first. You're taking care of your wife. That's a good thing. I said, and and if they don't respond to a healthy decision in a healthy way, that's on them, not on you. It, he wasn't trying to be mean toward his parents. Mm-hmm. His wife wasn't being selfish. She knew what she was saying was true. And so he was basically saying to protect my wife from toxic behavior, we have to walk away from him this Christmas. And and I think that actually honors God in a way it honors her. She set up the consequences mm-hmm. that he's responding to. He wasn't doing it out of malice. His wife wasn't being too sensitive. That was a clear case where for their family's health, I believe they needed to walk away. 
Now, that's interesting you say that, Gary, because I think a lot of our listeners, present company included, said, okay, I, I, I want to honor my parents. I mean, that's biblical. Honor your father and mother first, you know, a commandment with a promise. And you take that into your adult years, and the fact that you're saying, wait, but I've got my wife, I've got my family, I've got to take these things into consideration. So how am I honoring my parents by what it feels like stiff-arming them? So, I mean, I, I'm glad that you said, no, wait, let's, let's look at the healthy behavior here, and let's, you know, accentuate that. that that's got to be life-changing for people who hear that counsel. Well, it, it is, because I, the whole point that we haven't gotten into yet, the reason we walk away from toxic relationships is to walk toward healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a priority where Jesus says, pray for more workers. Every writer of the New Testament talks about the urgency of getting our work done. Paul specifically says, invest whatever you've heard into reliable people who are qualified to teach others, which I think is sort of his reaction to the Great Commission when Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. Throughout his life, Jesus said allegiance to his blood supersedes allegiance to familial blood, that we should be focused on finding reliable people to invest in. So here's the thing. It's not as if we're trying to be spiteful so that we can go binge on Netflix. (laughs) We want to be good stewards of our level of energy, our sense of peace, our sense of sanity, so that we can invest in reliable people. Christianity is an endless pursuit of reliable people to invest in and not worrying about toxic people. In fact, Jesus says not to invest in toxic people. In Matthew 7, 6, he says, don't give what is holy to dogs. Don't throw pearls before swine, or they're going to turn and tear you to pieces. And, and, and Roger, I know you know this, the, the listeners may not. In the first century, dogs were not fifi or fluffy, right. family pets. <laughs> I mean, Egyptians kept dogs, Jews didn't. He's talking about angry, smelly mongrels. Mm-hmm. And, and then referring to people swine. And what he's saying is you have this valuable truth, the, the message of Jesus Christ, his love, his grace. And you can present what is so valuable to not only will they not appreciate it, they'll resent you for it, they'll hate you for it, and they'll turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is saying, it's a clear, it's not an implication, it's a straight-out statement, I don't want you to be torn apart in ministry. I want you to learn to discern who you can invest in that's a reliable person. If it's somebody that's going to turn and tear you up because you're speaking this word, then I, I don't want you to give that to them. And and what opened my eyes to this, Roger, this was mind-blowing for me. Because Jesus went to the cross and was a martyr, I'm thinking, i got to be a martyr, right? That's mm-hmm. who I follow. Yeah. That's who I serve. Reading all of the times where Jesus walked away from intended persecution before the cross was amazing. Several instances. They picked up stones to stone him. Jesus slipped through the crowd. The Pharisees decided to kill him, so Jesus decided, I can't go that way again. Jesus let himself be crucified once for our sins, but his lifetime pattern was to walk away from persecution when it wasn't the right time. I never saw that before. This is powerful stuff from Gary Thomas today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People, and we've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have a chapter in the book, Gary, that you call Trading Toxic for Tender, and I want you to unpack that for us because I think a lot of times people will look at something like that. That doesn't seem like an even exchange or even a possibility. Yes. Well, here's the thing. It was a guy who admitted 
that he was toxic. He was angry. He was an angry man. He loved to be angry, and he would go out of his way to confront people. And I talked about anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Mm -hmm. That's what he lived for. He went on an online group and studied up in their subject. It was, I, I think, antique car repair or something. He said not to help people, but to make people feel stupid. Mm. And, and, and that's what we've got to get and, and, and not be naive. There are some people that just enjoy being toxic. And so he would do this until a struggle with porn, he wasn't a Christian at the time, made him just ashamed of what he was doing. He felt like he needed to get a handle on it. So he got into a Christian group and he said, look, I don't want any of your Christianity stuff, but maybe you can help me with the porn issue. And his, his behavior was so toxic, a pastor said, look, I don't want you to post online publicly. I'll talk to you privately. He became a Christian. And it, it, it's a story of what happened when from becoming an angry man, he became an encouraging man. Mm. He, he said, this was so sad. He said to me, Gary, I, I had no friends for about 20 years of my life. Oh, my. It, it was a constant battle with mm -hmm. my boss with my the people who were under me, with my wife, with my I mean it was just he just enjoyed rage and so yeah. he couldn't be close to anybody. And it and it's a story that if people recognize toxic tendencies in themselves, Jesus is powerful to deliver us. Toxicity doesn't have to win, but it requires humility, it requires repentance, it requires a turn to say, that's not who I want to be. And he kept saying that to me. It was a refrain over and over. Mm -hmm. He goes, I just said, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't like that person anymore. And he's so grateful to God that he isn't that person anymore. Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Gary, you, you've convinced me. It's it's too important. I'm really glad you wrote this book, and, and we're grateful. We'll put the rest of the link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, one final question for you, and thank you for staying with us over a little bit. Sure. Uh, what do we do? I mean, there's a husband or a wife who says, wow, my spouse, I mean, this is a toxic relationship, and I, I don't want to walk away from my marriage, but what do I do? I mean, I'm in a church situation. Somebody's toxic there. Someone's toxic. What are some good ways to start looking for the healthy parts, finding the reliable people? For me, the first step was just having the freedom that many times to walk in the footsteps of Jesus is to walk away from toxic people, because I'm looking at people that I can make a reliable investment in. And it's an easier call to say, is this the best investment of my time? If it's not, if it's not going anywhere, they're not being helped, I'm not, gonna, I'm not being helped, it's not worthwhile. Roger, when I look back on my life, investing time in toxic people has never proven fruitful. Mm. They don't change. I don't change. It never becomes healthy. Um, I, I think sex, so when we can walk away, I think we should. Um, if we can't, if you're in an office setting, what, what, I have a chapter, Looking Like Jesus Went and Living with Judas. Um, <laughs> how Jesus lived with a toxic person, Judas, but some of the things that came out of that. For instance, Jesus didn't view his life as stopping toxic people from sinning. He knew Judas was a thief. If John knew Judas was a thief, Jesus knew Judas was a thief, but he didn't focus on that. There were other issues that he had to focus on. He was investing in the disciples. Uh, he knew what was going on. And so if you have to be at a family gathering, 
it's not your job to be the detective, the lawyer, the judge, and the sentencing person when when somebody is in sin. I, I would walk away from that toxic person if you know they're not receiving it. Find a teenager that needs to be encouraged. Find a married couple that you can say, boy, how much I appreciate your example or whatnot. Walking away might be going to the next room, but I've just found if, if Jesus didn't have to point out sin everywhere he saw it, he saw the issue was bigger. It's our alienation from God that leads to sin. Then I don't have to. But then what I love that Jesus did also with Judas, he he, he called out Judas is crazy. He didn't let Judas pretend. Mm. When Jesus Judas came to to betray him with a kiss, Jesus, you're you're gonna betray the Son of Man with a kiss. Mm. And, and 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 so we don't have to pretend somebody's not toxic. We don't have to call out their sin. On the other hand, we don't have to go along with their sin. We can just say, you know. Uh, no, I think what you're doing is is wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm, if, if you're mm-hmm. asking me, but and, you know, and, and and so I just found that Jesus had this freedom, where he thought it was worthwhile, he would invest himself sacrificially, but when people had a hard heart, he was willing to walk away. And here's the key: he told us to walk away. So find the reliable people. Don't steal time from your healthy family by trying to fix a dysfunctional extended family. Don't steal time from a healthy marriage by fretting about a toxic boss or employee. You've got to mentally walk away. Learn to pivot and say, God has given me certain people to invest in and to relate to. And just as Jesus chose his disciples, I'm going to choose the people I invest in. And that by definition, means I need to learn when to walk away. Great counsel from Gary Thomas today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary, it's always a pleasure to have you on the broadcast. Thanks for being with us today here on the program. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, it's always a great discussion with Gary Thomas, and this book, When to Walk Away, is going to give a lot of people reason to cheer. If you can say, gosh, I just feel like I'm stuck in this relationship and God wouldn't want me to give up on them. Well, when you read Gary Thomas's book, When to Walk Away, you're going to see biblical examples of when God says, yeah, this relationship's done. Uh, the book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book we're giving away today here on Good News Friday, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we'll talk about why the Apostle Paul, the Old Testament prophet Nehemiah, and even the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ give us plenty of examples and biblical takeaways for how to deal with toxic people. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a 
$15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Gary Thomas. It's always great to get time with him, and I I appreciate how gracious Gary is. He's always uh, uh, happy to be with us on the Bottom Line Show and fun revisiting this conversation about his book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. We do have a copy of this book to give away. Come on, you know you have a toxic person in your life. We all do. 800-227-5278 or toxic people in your life. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we've got one copy of Gary Thomas's book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, oftentimes we think, if I could be more loving, if I could be more winsome, if I could do something else to make this person not be so angry and bitter and toxic and whatever, then and then maybe I'm the person who's going to lead this guy to Christ or this woman to Christ. Brothers and sisters, not everyone's going to heaven. And I'm not saying that you should say, well, I'm not going to witness to you, but I'll totally witness to you because you're not toxic. But at the end of the day, it's important for us to understand who the safe people are in our worlds, who the toxic people are, and to know the difference between the two. In all honesty, when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two early on in his ministry, you know what he told them? You go out and preach the gospel. Don't bring anything with you. Make sure that you get a place to stay and you know food to eat. And if they welcome the message of the gospel, baptize them. If they don't, shake the dust from that town off of your sandals. Our job is to go and preach the gospel. But when toxic people show up, put on the armor of faith. That is the good news. And that's the bottom line.